Hello, everyone. I'm Jackie Kane in this week for Tom Hauser. A number of new laws and regulations are now in effect here in Minnesota, including a bill signed into law by Governor Tim Walz to help fight the opioid epidemic. The governor signed the bill this past week. This was many years in the making. This was many tragedies and heartbreaks in the making. And this is a visionary piece of legislation. The new bipartisan law slaps a fee on opioid manufacturers and distributors to help communities battling addiction. Some pharmaceutical companies have opposed the law because of those fees. It also puts aside money for intervention, treatment, and recovery. And it creates an advisory committee aimed at helping make grant recommendations to the Minnesota Department of Health to lessen the number of deaths and overdoses. And Minnesota prisons can now start to hire 78 new officers over the next two years. This comes as a result of funding set aside in the public safety budget bill. The top three priorities are to find more officers for Oak Park Heights, Stillwater, and Faribault prisons. Corrections officials pushed for the funding following the deaths of two corrections officers on duty last year. Relief is on the way for deputy registrars who took big financial hits during the Minlar's mess. State grants are now being distributed to nearly 180 offices that requested the reimbursements. They'll get a share of $13 million approved by the legislature this spring. They range from about $12,000 all the way up to nearly $350,000. Minlar's was scrapped this past spring in favor of a private vendor. The city of Minneapolis has increased its minimum wage. It went up to $11 for small businesses with 100 or fewer employees and up to $12.25 for large businesses that have more than 100 employees. The ordinance went into effect in January of 2018. The city plans to boost the minimum wage up to $15 an hour for all businesses by 2024. The University of Minnesota officially has a new president. Joan Gable is now the first woman in the university's 167-year history to be president. Before coming here to Minnesota, Gable was executive vice president for academic affairs and provost at the University of South Carolina. The school's board of regents unanimously elected Gable late last year. She has a five-year contract. State Senator Karen Housley says she will not run next year for U.S. Senate. She says she'll instead run for re-election as a state senator, representing the Forest Lake and Stillwater area at the state capitol. Housley lost in the U.S. Senate election last fall to current Senator Tina Smith. Their jobs are difficult and demanding, and now there is a push to give Minnesota's child welfare workers better training. Callan Gray shows us how state leaders, along with the University of Minnesota, have created a new academy to help. When four-year-old Eric Dean died while under his stepmother's care in 2013, it sparked an overhaul of Minnesota's child protection system, a process still underway. What our role is in that is to make sure that those workers that are going into those homes are equipped to do the work and to do it well. Nikki Farrago with the State Department of Human Services says there's been a backlog for training new employees. Well, at our high point, we were seeing a six-month waiting list. Um, I think more recently we've gotten down to about three months that workers are waiting. But they're developing a training academy to help. You need training day one of the job. She says DHS plans to increase staff and have five regional hubs so a child welfare worker can access training within 50 miles. Farago says the delay in training is rooted in high turnover rates. 
After Eric's death, caseload skyrocketed due to more reports and changes in policy, and then the opioid epidemic. The more workers you have, the harder it is to work your case. Tracy Laliberti and the University of Minnesota are helping the state develop the new curriculum. Are there gaps? Do you see areas that could use improvement that this will help with? Sure. I think, I mean, one of the things we know in Minnesota is that we have horrible rates of disparities and disproportionality among um, communities of color. And she says reducing together. that will be a focus. Each worker will also be required to go through a certification process. If we want good outcomes for kids and families, we have to do the foundational work. Callan Gray, 5 Eyewitness News. The state is investing more than $4 million in the first year with some federal funding added. Callan spoke with a lawyer representing Eric Dean's family who says a wrongful death suit they filed last year has been dismissed, but they're in the appeal process. Demonstrators have spent this past week rallying against President Donald Trump's immigration policies. The group marched in South Minneapolis last Sunday, saying they are against the president's threat to deport millions of people. They call the president's policies anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim. Along the route, the group yelled, stand up, fight back, and people united cannot be divided. If we don't show force and show that we won't stand for this, I'm afraid that these abuses will continue. That march lasted for a few miles and ended at a church. Of course, the president still has many supporters of the policy. An ABC News Washington Post poll from April shows 39% of respondents approve of the president's handling of immigration. That is up slightly from two years ago. The Met Council is thinking about using limited cell phone data to track your habits when visiting one of the 56 regional parks and trails across the metro area. The system would not collect personal information on individual cell phones, but more generic stuff like zip codes, time of day, length of stay, and which park you visit most often. The rest of your information would stay private. Most people we talked with seem to be fine with the idea. I actually kind of like it because, I mean, it'll get a better idea of what they need to do to improve, do they need to move, make more bathrooms, I don't know, I mean, I think it's a good idea. The Met Council has not set a date for implementation of this idea. You might have noticed that construction is happening at the state capitol again, less than two years after a very long and painstaking renovation of the entire building. Tom Hauser explains why crews are back out there to ensure all Minnesotans can be part of this hub for so much important work for our state. Less than two years after the state capitol restoration project, construction workers are back. Money left over from that original project is making this possible. Two ramps allowing people with disabilities to move more easily from the lower capitol mall to the capitol building. Prior to the new disability ramps, if you could not get up these steps to get up toward the capitol, you would have to take this sidewalk all the way down to Martin Luther King Boulevard and then take it all the way up the hill to the driveway in front of the Capitol up a fairly significant grade. As you can see, this new ramp is going to make that much shorter and much easier. We really had a situation where we had public events that had some accessibility challenges. Wayne Wozlowski was the project manager on the Capitol restoration. He says the original budget didn't include money for these ramps, which are not required by law, but with about $6 million left over, they were able to do this and other projects. This is not something we had to do. It wasn't a a code requirement. It really is to just improve the overall access to public events on the, on the campus. 
It won't just help disabled visitors to the Capitol. State workers like Greg Ruland, who has cerebral palsy, says it will be easier for him to move between the transportation building and the Capitol. I would far rather have a, a straight path that isn't uphill that uh, is, is a further challenge than I already have. The disability ramps will cost about a half million dollars. The rest of the money will be used to restore more than two dozen historical monuments at the Capitol. Big projects like the Roy Wilkins Memorial and the Peace Officers Memorial, and smaller projects like fixing a typo etched on the Hubert Humphrey Memorial. An apostrophe on states' rights is out of place. At the Capitol, Tom Hauser, 5 Eyewitness News. Still ahead on At Issue, Brian Melendez and Annette Meeks will join us for political analysis, plus how state leaders are working to help keep seniors happy and healthy here at home. Welcome back. Many Minnesotans are worried about their aging parents, and state leaders share those same concerns. We are riding an age wave, and the Department of Human Services has the year 2030 circled on the calendar. That is when more than 21% of Minnesota's population will be age 65 and older. Kevin Doran shows us what's being done to save taxpayers money and keep seniors happy and healthy here at home. Harold Krein is 89 years young, plays the accordion, and loves to dance. The U.S. Army veteran lives by himself in Bloomington. Do you have concerns about being at home and being able to take care of yourself? Uh, I think about it, yeah. I don't have any children, so I don't have anyone around to take care of me. My concern with Harold is that he lives alone. Hello, how are you? Debbie Lieberman works for Loaves and Fishes. She met Harold when he came in for a free meal at the Creekside Community Center dining site. Debbie was hired thanks to a Live Well at Home grant from the state of Minnesota. She knows how to work a room. You got your health insurance and everything? Good. There's volunteers that help seniors with, with their home. Let me give you this senior linkage line. It's the state of Minnesota. What I do that they don't really realize, I've been trained by the state to apply a rapid screen, a Live Well rapid screen. It's, it's a seven questions. Debbie visits all 31 Loaves and Fishes dining sites on a regular basis. She's researched what's available locally to help seniors stay in their homes. I can provide you with any referrals to any community programs or services. Help them around the house, help them with their personal care, maybe give them a ride to the doctor. Those types of services that, as we age, many of us need. Carrie Benson is executive director of the Minnesota Board on Aging. What's the story with older folks in Minnesota right now? Many communities around the state already have more older people than students in K through 12 education. In 2019, the Department of Human Services awarded $8.6 million in Live Well at Home grants to organizations that help Minnesotans 65 and older stay at home. Providing these types of services and using taxpayer dollars to do so is a good investment. Because if something happens to them and they are put into an institution, many of them can't afford any kind of care. So again, the state's paying for that. So the referrals okay. that I gave you. As for Harold, Debbie gave him phone numbers for apartments that are safer and have cheaper rent. These two buildings, um, they would have senior buildings, I believe. They're doing amazing things in their 80s and 90s. Maybe they've lost everything and they're living in a small apartment. They can't afford to buy food, but they're still active. Active indeed. 
Harold plans to continue playing his accordion and live independently for years, thanks to a little help from the state of Minnesota. Kevin Dorn, 5 Eyewitness News. And we have information on free or low-cost services from the Senior Linkage Line. Just look inside Kevin Doran's story on our website, kstp.com. Former U.S. Senator Norm Coleman says his lung cancer has returned and he will undergo surgery later this month. He revealed his latest battle on Facebook. Coleman was first diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer about six months ago. He underwent chemotherapy and it was gone, but a scan showed that there was a new spot on his lungs. We will have, he will now have surgery on July 15th, where doctors will remove about a quarter of his lungs. And Coleman says he is ready for this battle, and he's grateful for the support of his friends and family and his medical team. We wish him all the best. It is now time for political analysis. Joining me is former DFL party chair Brian Melendez and Annette Meeks from the Freedom Foundation of Minnesota. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. July 1st marked a new fiscal year for us. There are new laws on the books. Any in particular that you see will be pretty impactful for Minnesotans. I think one of the most important ones is the hands-free cell phone. It's going to take some getting used to, but I think it's really an important advancement, and I'm very glad it finally became law. Brian, is there anything that we didn't see move through and get on the books for this session that we expect to be priorities for next session? Well, Traditionally, this session focuses on policy, and next year is going to focus on bonding. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, I think the conventional wisdom is that we are not going to see any taxing issues next year, like the gas tax. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if that kind of crept back into the discussion next year. It was certainly a hot topic. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. Well, let's shift gears to 2020 now. New poll numbers just released. If we can pull up that graphic, we'd like to show you. Here, uh, the Democratic candidates had their debate in Iowa. This, these are the latest numbers we have showing former Vice President Joe Biden still leading with 24% of support. That's actually down from recent, poor, recent polls, rather. And Kamala Harris surging here with 16%. Amy Klobuchar ranking six at just 2%, but 21% say they are still undecided here. When you look at these numbers, what are they telling you? Well, I think number one, I think Joe, our Vice President Joe Biden must really regret getting in the race so early because he's become everyone's favorite target. And number two, it tells me there's really no front runner. I was looking back at 18 months before the 2016 election, who was the Republican front runner? And surprisingly, it was not President Trump. And he was at 1% at this point. So I think you look at these numbers with a fair grain of salt. It's an, an eternity until the election. But there's a lot of damage being done. Uh, and, and as a Republican, I look at some of this and say, oh, they're doing a little bit of our opposition research for us right now. What do we think, Brian, about Amy Klobuchar's chances at this point? You know, 2%, do you think she'll even make it into the next debate at this point? Well, she certainly still has a path to do that, and I think there's a chance that she will, but she is not breaking out. Her numbers are still around 1% or 2%. Uh, there are probably 100 Sunday morning political talk shows going on uh, in the country this week. This is the only one that is talking about Amy Klobuchar, I think. Um, and so she, something needs to happen to energize her, even if she does make it into the next round. Otherwise, she's not going to last more than a couple more months. At what point do you think we will start to see the field narrow? I think very soon. There's some big fundraising deadlines coming up. And you're already seeing uh, former Colorado Governor Hickenlooper, his entire senior staff, uh, abandoned ship last week. And I think some of those people will start to be picked up by other campaigns. And I think that's actually the opportunity Senator Klobuchar has, is to pick up some of that talent and maybe to pick up a little steam. But I agree with, with Brian. She needs to do something pretty dramatic rather quickly to make it to the fall debate. Was there any surprise in the numbers there? I mean, Bernie Sanders did drop significantly. Well, he, he's about where he was uh, in, in the last election cycle at this point. Um, but 
since he was the second place finisher last time, you'd expect him to do better. Joe Biden is in free fall, and I think everybody expected him to take some hits after that debate, but he's had like a 10-point drop. Uh, and the one number that is not up there, uh, uh, the fundraising numbers, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg just announced that he had raised $25 million in the last quarter. And for a mayor of not even the biggest city in Indiana, that's impressive. Dramatic, really. And we know that Donald Trump is certainly raising a lot of money as well. So. Very much so. And, and he, that gives him an opportunity to define the Democrats before they can. Everybody pretty much knows President Trump and who he is and what he stands for. But this gives him his vast, uh, I think he raised over $100 million, uh, will give him the opportunity to start attacking early and often, which I assume he will do. I think the other thing that's interesting about Mayor Pete and some of these others is people seem to be interested in some of the newer candidates that they don't know as well versus Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren and some of these that have been around for a while and certainly Vice President Biden. So I think they're giving us a, a, a new look at some of these unknown candidates and, and certainly Kamala Harris is one of those. It will be fascinating to watch. Thank you very much for your perspective. We appreciate it. Coming up next on At Issue is our face-off. We'll have Republican strategist, strategist Brian McDaniel and former DFL party chair Mike Erlinson in studio. Stay with us. About 100 Minnesotans rallied in Minneapolis Tuesday outside of Senator Amy Klobuchar's office. They joined the more than 150 protests around the country calling for the closure of migrant family detention centers. The rallies come after lawmakers approved a $4.6 billion border aid bill. It's just so sad that we've, we've come to this. Treating people the way we have down at those camps, the conditions separating families. I'm just heartbroken and I just couldn't sit at home. President Donald Trump has criticized Democrats, saying they are too lax on border security and immigration laws. It is time for Face Off, and we are joined by Mike Erlinson, former DFL party chair, and Brian McDaniel, a Republican strategist. Let's talk about immigration right now. You know, we saw disturbing images circulating, people calling for the camps to be shut down. My question is, Brian, is that a real solution here to shut these camps down? Where will the people go? Yeah, absolutely not. You can't shut them down. Though, you know, to, to look at the pictures that we're seeing, you know, it's a humanitarian crisis. You know, President Trump, one of the things that, that I think that he's be, being proven right on is that there is a crisis at the border. This is proving that. Uh, but what it shows is, is that Congress needs to act. They need to get funds, provisions, everything else to these people because, you know, we need to, we need to treat them more humanitarianly. It's a very emotional issue, and I know that the president is digging his heels in on this, calling for massive deportation raids. You know, what say you on that issue? <laughs> well, look, at, we have a president that's full of bad behavior, right? And this is just another example. Brian is right. We should pass comprehensive immigration legislation. The reality is there was bipartisan comprehensive immigration legislation pending before the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate that can't move forward because somebody in the White House wants to focus on building a wall and wants to focus on rounding people up and deporting them from our country and wants to focus on all kinds of things that make absolutely no sense. Our country just celebrated the 4th of July, right? We talk about freedom. Our country has a statue called the Statue of Liberty that says, give us your tired, your poor, your hungry, etc." as part of its quote, right? We are a country that is supposed to be accepting of people and we take care of people and we ensure that they have the rights to be successful in our country. That's not happening with the president who is politicizing everything from the 4th of July to comprehensive immigration reform. 
We saw the $4.6 billion bill get passed. What, what aid can we expect from that, and how soon will it come? Well, and, and you know, and I, and I, I don't know. I don't know the, the inner workings of the bill, but this is not a Trump crisis. This is an American crisis. These are continuation of Obama policies. These are, uh, you know, the, the Obama administration deported more people than the Trump uh, administration has, but that's not the point. You know, we, we can politicize this all day, and unfortunately, that's what's happening across the country. These are people. They are people who are not living in uh, acceptable conditions. Let's get the aid to them, and let's be proud of who we are as Americans and how we treat people who want to be here. President Trump made history as the first sitting president to set foot in North Korea with Kim Jong-un. We saw that photo. We have video right here. Um, my question to you, Brian, is... People say this is a sign of progress. Is it? Absolutely. Um, you know, from the emails I get after I do these shows, I'm not supportive of the president enough. But on on North Korea, I give him incredibly high marks. This is something that would not be happening. These talks would not be happening but for Donald Trump being president. Some critics say the only progress will be if a deal is made in which Kim Jong Un will give up his weapons. How close do you think we are to that deal? Well, I'm guessing we're a long ways from that deal, right? And presidents do love photo ops, just like the president got with the president. I do think it's a step in the right direction. I do think you want to have dialogue. It's very dangerous, though, when you have a world leader that is as unpredictable as Kim Jong-un is, um, who has nuclear weapons or is working d diligently to get them and put them on a vehicle that could cause great harm in our country or someplace else in the world. So you have to be very careful. Uh, his diplomacy with handshakes I, seems to be very difficult different than his diplomacy on Twitter, and those things have to make it very difficult for the people in his administration that are trying to ultimately get a deal done. Okay, gentlemen, thank you for being here. We appreciate your perspective. Still ahead on At Issue, the great Minnesota get-together receives quite the honor. What our own iconic festival is being put on the map for. Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan is engaged. She is set to marry former Twin Cities radio host Tom Weber. The Lieutenant Governor broke the big news on Twitter last weekend. Flanagan tweeted in part that she is over the moon and is excited to spend the rest of her life with Weber. Congratulations to the Lieutenant Governor and, of course, to Mr. Weber. Our own Minnesota State Fair is being put on the map. The great Minnesota get-together is being named by Newsweek as one of the 10 best late summer festivals in the entire world. And it's the only event named on that list that's in the United States. That's even more incentive to go. This year, the State Fair runs from August 22nd to September 2nd. We like to see what you have to say about At Issue. All you have to do is write to us at atissue at kstp.com. That's all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.